0: friends and foes alike welcome once again to another episode of the o show um if you've been listening to the other episodes you would realize that i'm starting this one without the typical weird intro that's because today's episode is a bit different than what uh, i usually do am not going to be covering science if you follow me on instagram you're going to have an idea of what this episode is going to be about um so for the past two weeks, I've been reading um, a book called Nagasaki, Nagasaki, uh, the Forgotten Bomb, by a guy called Frank W. Um, what was his last name? I'm trying to remember his last name. Something like Chutney. can't remember. Chinook, Chinook, Frank W. Chinook. Yeah. So um, he, he basically wrote this book after having interviewed people and uh, got got diaries and uh, journals of people who were there during the um, nuclear blast in Nagasaki. And so, yeah, I'm going to be telling you guys what the book covers um, and just the terrifyingly horrible effects of a nuclear explosion. And I'm probably going to make this one a two-part episode because at first I was like, yeah, I I can make a a full book into one episode but i am not sure i can i feel like there's so much material in here and i don't want to leave out stuff that i feel like are are important so i'm probably going to make this into a two-part episode might not who knows depends uh too if this i get positive feedback from uh, this episode and so uh, with that let's get in to the episode <laughs> So, the book starts out just giving a general description of Nagasaki during the... So, the bomb happened on August, and um, the writer starts the book talking, or giving a general description of Nagasaki, at least during August, or during the war, and... This is 1945, so it's to, it's the end of the war, basically. Germany has uh, dropped out. I think Hitler's already dead. At the, yeah, Hitler died in April of that year, if I'm not mistaken. And so the war was really, World War Two was really falling apart and coming to a close. Um, the Soviet Union had joined with uh, the Allied forces, and everyone was basically against Japan at this point. And Japan was not going to surrender, at least without a fight and so yeah There, so to, just to open up to give a nice impression of a nice impression uh, a clear impression of th- 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 there was no food there was there was a lack of food there was lack of water there was lack of all types of resources it was very much a uh, wasteland right not not as much maybe as i'm making it out to be but things were much tougher than you know there it was an emergency mode And there was a widely circulated saying at the time, which uh, was a drop of gasoline equals a drop of blood. No one was driving cars at that point because, you know, gas was so um, rare. People were uh, riding their bicycles or just walking around. Um, So the bomb, okay, the place where the bomb exploded um, was above, obviously, Nagasaki, and uh, um, years after, they they built a, um, a memorial there called the Nagasaki Cultural Center. And so th- th- there's a nice paragraph here that says, You stand in the middle of that rectangular plot and gaze upward, squinting into the bright spring sun, the clear innocent sky, and for some reason you begin to shiver. It is almost impossible to conceive of the fact that not so very long ago, some 500 yards directly over where you are now standing, the sky burst apart and a city died now it is alive once more but that is a rebirth what the Buddhists here call reincarnation or another chance at life the fact remains that the city once died a painful violent sad death and it happened right over the spot yeah a very violent and sad and painful death I'm gonna first I'm gonna go over the team who actually dropped the bomb uh, the American soldiers and uh, pilots. And then I'm gonna get into the direct effects of the bomb on the ground in Nagasaki uh, and talk about different people and their experiences. And um, yeah, let's get into it. So, we had three pilots and three different planes that were involved in dropping the Fat Man. That was the name of the bomb. So, you had Major Chuck Sweeney, who was basically the captain of the main ship. Captain Fred Bach. Well, he wasn't the captain, but yeah, I, I I got the impression that Sweeney played a big role. So Captain Fred Bach and Major Jim Hopkins, Sweeney's regular plane, the Great Artiste. That was the that was the name of Sweeney's plane. Major Jim Hopkins would fly the third plane, which would carry movie cameras and scientific personnel, including Group Captain Leonard Cheshire or Cheshire. I don't know how it's pronounced. This guy was Winston Churchill's official representative. On Sweeney's plane, there were three additional personnel complementing his usual ten men: Lieutenant Commander Frederick L. Ashworth, or the weaponeer in charge of the bomb, his assistant Lieutenant Phil Barnes, and the radar countermeasures specialist Lieutenant Jake Bezer, whose job it was to make sure that the Japanese did not electronically detonate Fat Man ahead of schedule. Captain Bach in the second plane would also have an extra passenger, journalist William L. Lawrence of the New York Times. Who had been chosen to cover the manhattan project from its inception to its conclusion and whose coverage of the entire event would win him a pulitzer prize um the manhattan project was the um, or, um it, it was the name of the project that was developing the nuclear bomb okay so let me talk a bit about the fat man what what this um so you had you had the little boy uh, that was dropped on hiroshima and you had the fat man that was dropped on nagasaki so Little man was a uranium core nuke, and uh, the fat man was a plutonium-cored nuclear weapon. So they they were kind of different. So the plutonium core of the fat man was divided into two hemispheres, like a melon sliced in half. These half globes were placed in the center of a ring of explosive charges, ingeniously arranged to press in on the core simultaneously when triggered by an electric current. The theory was that the explosion would drive the two hemispheres together and achieve critical mass in other words set off a fantastically rapid chain reaction splitting billions of plutonium nuclei and releasing their combined energy all within a millionth of a second i don't know if you are familiar with um there's this the demon uh demon sphere what was it called let me let me make sure the demon core the demon um core incident is that it yeah that's it so the demon core yeah uh, this was basically part of the manhattan project this was a lot of people who were working on the demon core were uh, they died from radiation um uh, it's been a while since i've familiarized myself with the with the demon core but essentially what i just described is that right so bill lawrence the pulitzer prize winning journalist aboard the great artiste wrote in his notebook this is on their way to nagasaki to drop the bomb i am riding above the giant mountains of white cumulus clouds letting myself be suspended in infinite space one hears the whir of the motors but it soon becomes insignificant insignificant against the immensity all around and before long one is swallowed by it there comes a point where space also swallows time and one lives through eternal moments filled with an oppressive loneliness as though all life had vanished suddenly from the earth and you are the only one left A lone survivor traveling endlessly through interplanetary space i think that guy would have probably been into sci-fi yeah and sci-fi was starting to get big at that point so here it says the decision of whether or not to drop the bomb was one with which he had never concerned himself that was a moral a political a grand strategy decision and he was a simple sword soldier trying to do his job as well as he could he was like most bomber pilots who have formed a defensive armor about their particular role in the war. Their function is to drop bombs on targets, not on people. Were they to think otherwise, to be ordered to drop a bomb on say 2,567 men, women and children, they would, probably be, they would probably go mad. A target was a different matter. A target didn't live or breathe or hurt. Still, Sweeney had seen the effects of this kind of bomb at Hiroshima, and he knew deep within himself that there had been people down there, enemies though they were um i'm i'm deeply fascinated by the moral element of this whole entire thing the whole time i was reading this book i kept thinking to myself was it right you know like was it the right thing i don't know you know i kept thinking were the americans right or were they wrong are they war criminals or is it the japanese emperor's fault for not surrendering i don't know i just find it hard to believe that hundreds of thousands of people were sacrificed with a nuclear weapon for the sake of a leader who didn't know when to give up. Yeah. But then you have, you know, the US and their military, their viciously scary military that to this day has weapons like called the Angel of Death. Like, you know, when I think of the Empire in Star Wars, they developed something called the Death Star. You know, so when you have empires or civilizations that are creating weapons called death star or angel of death you start to think what the fuck is going on there it's kind of demented you know it's very um weird so before sweeney and the gang hey hey this is not funny uh before sweeney and the gang dropped the bomb they there was a lot of discussion um with the higher-ups, whether they should warn the Japanese people about this bomb going to happen. And uh, after a lot of discussion, some people didn't think it was wise, some people thought it was the moral thing to do, they ended up dropping flyers all over uh, Nagasaki. So, And here's the paragraph that relates to this idea. As for the question of giving the Japanese advanced warning, the prevailing opinion was against doing so. For one thing, the bomb might be a dud. Also, Secretary Burns feared that if a certain locality were to be named as the target site, the Japanese might bring American prisoners of war to that area. But the most important reason for not giving detailed advanced warning was the Stimson-oriented opinion that any such announcement of the impending use of the new weapon would invalidate one of the main purposes of the bomb, namely to shock the Japanese into surrender by use of the terrible bomb. Thinking back on that one point, Truman was glad that the decision had been at least partly modified. Leaflets were going to be dropped on the selected cities a few days prior to bombing, which would warn the people what was to come and advise them to leave their cities. That's nice of them, right? Very, uh, yeah, I mean, what else can they do, you know? These huge decisions, big wars, you know? And and the crazy thing is that 99% of people are just caught up in it and they have no say whatsoever. I think that's the the greatest injustice of war is that 99% of the people involved are don't want to be part of it. So so weird man. Who like yeah where where are all these you know how does it escalate to this point? Just a few crazy leaders. There's a part here on on the topic of trying to deter um or at least show the Japanese people what the bomb was, because this was all secret. No one had any clue that there was any type of nuclear weapon. No one understood everything was chemical uh, weapons at the time. Chemical as in chemical reactions like, you know, TNT and that type of C4 stuff. So they didn't know that there was, they couldn't comprehend this type of energy. Even we can't comprehend it, right? Like me even reading this book and, you know, there was the August 4 bomb in Lebanon. You, you still, even then, you, like, it's, it's hard to to really understand, you know, especially when you're reading and the effects on the people. It's, it's seriously, it's fucking terrifying. You know, there's a fantastic video game um, series called Fallout. And so Fallout takes place in a world um, a few hundred years after the current time. Nuclear war has happened and uh, the world is brought into this po- post-apocalyptic uh, world right, and uh I kept thinking about it you know the the world is dried out it's it's just radioactive waste everywhere it's it's this kind of destroyed earth, and uh it's a really good game, I love it, and I love the concept of post apocalyptic worlds that are brought about through nuclear war, which I kept thinking about after this when you when when I read the descriptions of what happened directly after the bomb it's it's truly terrifying um yeah so yeah back to demonstrating the bomb to them so here the question of the demonstration of the bomb had actually become one of the most controversial aspects of the entire a bomb program the two advisory groups once they had reluctantly recommended the bomb's use were immediately confronted with objections of a number of scientists who seriously doubted the international morality of a surprise atomic bomb on japan which is i completely agree with like how like isn't it so here they're, they're, they wanted to... Okay, so these scientists, including James Frank, Leo S- 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 Zillard, Eugene Rabinowich, and Glenn T. Seaborg, put their objections into words in a document called The Frank Report, which stated that the use of nuclear bombs for an early unannounced attack against Japan is unadvisable. These scientists had then suggested a demonstration of the new weapon to be made before the eyes of the representatives of all the United Nations on the desert or on a barren island. I really think if they did that... Things may have played out differently. I don't think the emperor wouldn't have given up. If he saw that fucking nuke, if he saw the destruction it could create, I really don't think he would have. I don't know. But even then, after Hiroshima, they didn't you know, immediately give up and it was bad in its own rights. And there's a beautiful um, quote by Oppenheimer here, one of the big key players in the Manhattan Project. And this is related to science and knowledge and morality. So he said, we had known the sin of pride, of thinking we knew what was good for man. That is not the business of scientists. And I couldn't agree more. There's a nice saying, I can't remember where I heard it. Knowing what something is or how it works doesn't teach you why it is or how to behave, right? So just because I know that stabbing someone hurts, right, or the effects of it, doesn't mean, doesn't teach me how I should go about this concept, you know. So the moral aspect of it, just because you understand the qualities of the thing, it doesn't give you an understanding of the moral implications of the thing. And uh, I'm pretty sure Oppenheimer got that really well. So uh, one day before the Potsdam conference, so the Potsdam conference essentially was a peace meeting between Stalin, Truman, and Churchill, where they were trying to bring the war to a close. And in it, they also um, asked the Japanese emperor to surrender. So there was a day just before the start of the Potsdam Conference when he had been taken on a tour of Berlin. This is Truman. His motorcade traveled from Babelsberg along the Autobahn to the center of Berlin, down to Wilhelmstrasse, to the gutted remains of the reichskanzlei hitler's tomb truman had passed by the ruins of the reichstag the sports palace and the dozens of other once famous sites which now were only piles of stone and rubble he had been depressed by the ruined buildings and by the old men and women and children walking aimlessly along the pockmarked streets carrying what was left of their belongings he thought that he had never seen such utter destruction that's what happens he had murmured when man overreaches himself. At that time, he had not been informed of the successful A-bomb test at Alamogordo. And so, he had no way of realizing the comparison that lay before him, that even after three and a half years of constant bombardment, the city of Berlin had sustained less damage than would soon result from the atomic bombs about to be dropped on Japan, or that the one bomb dropped on Nagasaki would kill more people than German air attacks on London killed during the entire war there are these tiny kind of um statistics if you want they're not really statistics but they kind of give you an impression of the scale of what was going on one bomb killed as many people as three years of air attacks on london and if you know about world war ii london was being bombarded like it was raining bombs there for a long time it's terrifying dark episode so Here we have a a direct excerpt from the diary of Professor Shirabe of the Nagasaki Medical College. The air raid alarm was lifted, just in time for me to teach my 9 o'clock class. The days are so hectic now, what with the accelerated program of trying to compress four years' work into three. Also, as more and more interns and residents are called into service, the burdens of teaching and clinical work increase greatly for those of us left here. Still, I suppose we are lucky not to have to face the dangers of battle. After my class, I attended a brief meeting of senior faculty members. Ever since the hospital and college buildings were bombed on August 1st, we have all agreed that something should be done to indicate to enemy aircraft that a hospital is on our campus. Now a a decision has been reached. On the roofs of all the buildings will be painted a giant red cross. The painting will start tomorrow, August 10. There are many instances in this um, book that talk of people making plans for August 10, either to evacuate the city or to mark their hospitals with giant crosses on them. And uh, ironically, the bomb was dropped on August 9th. So you have a lot of people who were just one day too late. So there's another story of a gregarious 21-year-old whose name was Tsuneo Tomita. He was a student at the university before the war end. I don't know if actually he was before the war but uh, he was describing the university as how it it was a beautiful university and now it had been transformed the gardens kind of weren't watered anymore and the the grass fields were kind of changed to 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 grow sweet potatoes all the young men were digging out dugouts for bomb shelters and um there's a part in the story where there's a young woman in her early twenties, I guess she was, um, so, okay. So the, 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 few days before people had, there was rumors moving about, about a new type bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And so people kind of had it in their consciousness, but people weren't taking it seriously either. You have to understand that Hiroshima one was far away and, uh, communication at that time was not as it is today. And, um, There was a lot of um propaganda obviously during times of war you get a lot of propaganda so people tend to be maybe ignorant of certain things or choose to ignore certain certain things and even the flyers that were dropped um there was a story of a woman who who uh, who wanted to heed the warning but decided now this must be american propaganda and they're just trying to make us scared So you had this kind of mentality going around. Anyway, so you had this girl or woman, young woman, who there was suspense. She was talking about how her and the other women were feeling scared. And there was a a very suspense feeling. They all felt like, you know, something was going to go down with all these rumors about that they might drop a bomb on Nagasaki. Some new type bomb happened in Hiroshima. Uh, Weird shits going down. And at some point, she was walking in the gardens, and there were chickens. And she describes the chickens as being completely unaware of of the world. And it, and for a moment, she says that it was as if there was no war happening, and, and everything was fine, you know, with the ignorance of the chickens. Uh, and it's a powerful kind of concept that in their ignorance, there wasn't anything going on, you know. And... Uh, and uh, the, in a chapter after that, they're talking about uh, Tsuneo Tomita and, and the other young boys, men, who, who were digging out dugouts. And they were young guys who, they had kind of a youthful, playful attitude. They obviously were aware that the war was going on and most young men had gone to fight. And so you don't have as many young men as you do women. Um, most of them are either doctors uh, because, you know, they needed them there or older men, like senior men. And I was just thinking about how these young boys, um, almost ignorant to the world around them, having fun and digging and just, you know, living their life. There's a certain... I I don't want to try... I don't want to sound like I'm trying to sound like an old guy, uh, but there is a certain innocence that youth has uh, that I swear, like, that maybe only something like a great war can can make a parent and yeah i just they just reminded me of the chickens you know the, the young boys uh, digging in the ground like the chickens digging for seeds in the in the ground suspense youth fear will to live feeling like you are going to die tomorrow there was one of tomito's friends tomita uh, his friends who said to him and the other guys at one night they were sitting down and talking and uh, one of the friends he he just told them, I know I'm going to die tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day I die. And he was right, because the next day the the bomb did fall on them. So meanwhile, all of this is happening. You have the American planes with the fat man hooked on to one of them, flying towards Nagasaki. So I didn't go into too much detail. They weren't supposed to drop it on Nagasaki. They were actually supposed to drop it on a place called Kokura, if I remember correctly. Let me make sure. Yeah, so... It was supposed to be dropped on kokura at first but there was not enough visibility so they changed directions and headed to nagasaki and just like that nagasaki's fate was locked in and it's so funny how many tiny little um, events can uh, really change history so the guys are flying and they had some complications on the on the on board the plane with the bomb Um, Everything went well though, and eventually they reached Nagasaki and they dropped the bomb. And I'm going to start reading um, events of of people's experiences during the blast. So that morning, a group of 10 boys in colored loincloths were playing a game called Find the Bell. One of the boys, 11-year-old Koichi Nakajima, had a little gilded bell. He would throw it in the water, count to three, and they would all dive in. The first to find it would win the game. Now, Koichi held up the tiny bell and shouted Here we go, one, two, three. There were ten splashes and the boys dove for the prize, but the river had become roily and no one found it. Koichi began to get worried. He had taken the bell from his sister's workbox without her permission. She'd be very angry if he lost it. He surfaced, took a deep breath, and eeled his way back to the bottom. Nine seconds later, the bomb exploded over his head. When Koichi surfaced, he heard two of the other boys screaming with pain. He stared around in fright. There were bodies of his friends on the riverbank, and beyond them he saw that all the houses had been knocked down. What had been a beautiful city a moment before was now a wasteland, with a big black cloud rising above it like smoke from a funeral pyre. Though it was deathly hot, Koichi's teeth began to chatter. That's... Absurd, you know, though it was deathly hot. Koichi's teeth began to chatter. I wonder why I really I still don't understand Was it fear or I really don't know if you guys have any ideas um, share When the plutonium bomb exploded fantastic energy was released in the form of heat light gamma radiation and pressure The exact number of people killed will never be known The pre-war census count is meaningless and because people were constantly moving in and out of the cities No pre-raid population figure had been determined Also, many people were burned beyond recognition or were simply obliterated. Finally, hundreds were disposed of in mass cremations, while other hundreds fled to the country and mountains to die unrecorded. And here we have another part that... So, when the August 4 bomb happened... It's so funny that it actually happened in August as well, I just realized. Um, Yeah, so when the August 4 bomb happened in, in Beirut, I had... Um, an uncanny number of stories come my way from my friends of how they survive, survived just by a hair, right? Just some crazy stroke of luck, and they survived, you know? And the crazy thing is, in this book, they, they the writer refers to the same kind of concept. And another thing I kept thinking about while reading this book was the concept of luck, you know? Like, this kind of, like, angelic thing, right the the, the 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 goddess or or the angel of probability i don't know it's so it's so weird and interesting i wish we had something to measure luck you know even playing games like me and my my cousins we play mario party which is a lot of luck involved in this game and you know, there are streaks of luck, we get streaks of luck, like I would win for like three weeks in a row, and then my co- I would start losing for three weeks in a row, right? And the same person would win for two, three weeks in a row. Like there's some kind of, you know, luck looking down on this person. And uh, I, I don't know, it's just a f- very cool um, thing, the concept of luck and probability and chance. So here he goes on to say, some people were protected by inevitable yet unpredictable tricks of chance. At the very edge of the red circle of death, a thin and withered old man, whose eyesight was fading, was on hands and knees behind a three-foot wall stone, a three-foot-high stone wall, tenderly weeding out four small sweet potato buds. Behind him stood his wife, criticizing his efforts and offering suggestions as wives do the world over. When the bomb exploded, the old man was barely conscious of the flash. Because of the stone wall and his bad eyesight, The first indication he had was that his wife stopped talking in mid-sentence it was only much later that he was able to understand fully what had taken place the heat rays emanating from the center of the explosion had swept over the top of the stone wall well over his head and had cut down his wife even as she spoke so there's a reference here to the red circle of death this is the zone um it's it's the close zone to the um point of the blast and this red circle of death nothing survives here everything is completely um, annihilated right there is i'm pretty sure the heat that is um released at this zone is as hot as the surface of the sun if not hotter um but yeah it's ridiculously hot and peop- everything gets vaporized because the radiant heat came in a direct line shielding behind some sort of object walls earth trees even leaves was important A man writing at his desk was unaffected except for his hands, which were badly burned by the rays entering a small window in his house. Generally, the thicker the clothing, the more protection it offered. The rays penetrated a single layer of clothing, and marks of protecting straps, clothing labels, buttons were often clearly visible on the skin. White or light-colored provided more protection than darker ones, and bizarre patterns were etched on the flesh of many. So here we have the story of research technician Tao. After surviving the blast, with shards of glass in his back and failing to help people in a ber- burning building. So this is his story. Slowly he climbed down the ladder and backed away from the blaze. He knew it was hopeless now and when he looked around he saw other buildings burning. Even trees and shrubbery high on the hills were gone. And 50 yards away from him a group of children who had been playing in a circle had fallen where they stood. Some still seemed to be moving. He realized that he couldn't have just, this couldn't have been an ordinary bomb. He thought of that new type bomb he had read about. Maybe this was what had been meant by it. Four-year-old Yoko was sleepy that morning, having been kept awake most of the previous night by an irritated throat. Each time she had tried to relax, the annoying tickle that made her cough, and by the time her paroxysm had passed, she was wide awake again. This morning her cough was better, but she found her eyelids heavy, and even playing was tiring. She and her playmates had been building mud fortresses outside a neighbor's house when, at about 8.30, the air raid siren had gone off. From somewhere, a grown-up had shouted at them to go to the shelter. Inside the dugout, it was dark and still cool from the early morning breeze. Yoko had crawled to a corner and was soon asleep. She never heard the all clear, nor saw her friends scamper out to resume their fortress building, nor did they notice their little friends' absence. At that age, one's universe revolves around a very small area indeed. Yoko was finally aroused from her nap when the ground under her heaved and jolted her awake. She couldn't see anyone else in the dim dugout, but she heard a deep, continuous rumbling coming from outside, and she crawled slowly outside the dugout entrance. There she sat on the ground, rubbing her eyes, and looked around in terror. All the houses had been knocked down and were burning. Several of her friends were lying on their backs, their eyes staring up at the black sky. At 10.50 that morning, 24-year-old Kazuyo Inao had entered the public bathhouse near Gokoku Shrine to take her first full-length bath in several weeks. It was her day off from work, and she was looking forward to the unaccustomed luxury of hot water and soap. She had undressed slowly and was about to step into the sunken tub when a blast hurled her toward it. Her head thudded against the wall and she tumbled into the full tub, her unconscious body slunk slowly to the bottom. Some 24 hours later, reporter Jun Azuma, who had come into the city from the outside found Kazuyo still in the tub by then the water had drained from the many cracks in it, unlike the blackened burnt forms he had already discovered. Kazuyo's naked body was unmarked rosy red, and lifelike but she was also quite dead yeah, and there's so many of these stories um of I don't want to say random people, but just different ages um different experiences. Some die, some survive. I'm going to read some more of these uh, cases of the blast. Mrs. Yoshiyama was peeling potatoes in her kitchen, and she watched in disbelief as the potato skins flew out of the window a second before she was hurled to the floor. Twelve-year-old Moritaka was on his way to school. He had been delayed by the air raid alarm earlier, and like schoolchildren everywhere, he had used it as an excuse to dilly-dally. Blown to the ground by the blast, he did not hear a nearby tree- fall beside him, but he did feel the branches and leaves of that tree as they covered him protectively. Mrs. Eto was feeding her baby in a small room in the Shiroyama Primary School, when that building was all but destroyed. Somehow, she and her six-month-old child lived through those hellish moments, but when Mrs. Eto returned home, she came back to nothing. Her husband, mother, brother, 14-year-old son, 12-year-old daughter, and two other daughters, five and three, all had perished. Fuck, this is... uh... It's so sad, and there are so many stories of these mothers who survived, and uh, their whole family had been taken away from them. Yeah, not gonna lie, I cried a few times reading this uh, this book. I don't. I feel like I've already given a good idea of the terror of this. I, I feel like I don't want to make this episode too dark. There already is dark as hell, anyway. Um, yeah, and this is not usually what we do on the O Show. Hey. Because uh, I try to make this fun, but I also want it to be educational. Like I want, I like these things. These things I think are really important to know about. You know, they say we study history to not repeat the mistakes we made, and uh, it seems to me that we are going to re re repeat these mistakes. You know, um, at that time there were a handful of nuclear weapons on the whole Earth, and now we have thousands on the Earth, and I'm not sure if I'm right in saying this, but it seems like the world leaders are far less mature than they were at that time. So, yeah, you have leaders like uh, Kim Jong-un who are yeah, just ego-driven madmen who have nuclear weapons in their arsenal. I'm going to read one more uh, story um, before closing this episode. This is Mrs. Okamoto, okay? Mrs. Okamoto heard the sound of the plane from where she was standing on a hillside overlooking Yamazato Primary School. Ordinarily, she would have looked up to see if she could see a plane, but this time she felt a sudden nameless terror, and she jumped down the hill and dove into the shelter. Like a lizard clawing for purchase, she pushed her body against the innermost wall of the shelter. Then, from behind, a blast of intense heat swept over her. When she finally stumbled out of the shelter, she saw that the sun, which had been shining a few minutes earlier, was now covered by a heavy, dark rain cloud. Yet, they were like no rain clouds she had ever seen before. These seemed to be moving upward at great speed. In the school playground, she saw that all the women teachers who had been passing dirt and the men who had been digging were lying on the ground, some silent, some moaning. The upper portions of all their bodies were naked, and the hair on their heads and over their eyes had been burned off. Mrs. Okamoto, this is a few moments later, Mrs. Okamoto heard a voice crying on the nearby hill, and she remembered that she had been standing next to Mr. Sakaki on the hillside. She ran up the hill and found her colleague burned and naked like the others. He seemed to be blind as well, and had bitten through his tongue. In his agony, he asked Mrs. Okamoto to kill him. She tried to calm him, but his pain must have been terrible, for he kept pleading, Kill me, Okamoto-san. Kill me. Quickly. There was nothing she could do to help him, and the crying began in her heart. He had just completed his schooling in March and had been teaching for only three months. He had been one of the most popular young teachers, particularly with the boys. Now she could only sit and watch as death touched him. Mrs. Adachi, who was okomoto sans colleague, took off her sneakers and stretched out her legs. Vaguely, she could hear a radio coming from the barracks in front of the gate. She strained to listen and was able to make out what the voice was saying two enemy planes were reported heading over Shimabara Peninsula toward the direction of. Just then, she heard the noise of planes overhead. She debated whether she should try to reach the dugout. But before she could move, an intense white light came in through the three windows, making the room so bright that she had to close her eyes. The next instant, she found herself on the floor, nudged there gently but firmly as if by a giant pillow. She watched as the wall collapsed in slow motion. It started to rain, a bruising grain of plaster and wood and tiles. She must have lost consciousness, for when the next moment she opened her eyes, the room was filled with people, or, rather, what was left of people. They must have been out in the field, for most of them had lost some of their clothes. Slacks had been ripped away and torn away, blouses and shirts stripped off, shoes and sandals snatched away. Mrs. Adachi was horrified at the sight of their exposed skin. Arms, legs, faces, breasts, buttocks, all looked like raw red pomegranate. Some moans and some cried. Some were silent, others sobbed for water, please water. One man whose skin had peeled away even in red strips was screaming, kill me please, the pain, oh. One woman teacher bare from the waist up was on her knees praying to Buddha. Her voice got slower and weaker and at last she toppled sideways and lay still. I keep have so many questions, I'm, I'm wondering now why I'm, I'm making an episode about this. Uh, I was looking into some stuff and uh, I've been more fascinated with the prospect of nuclear war, especially since the global um, political situation isn't really good. Most people are upset in their countries. Countries aren't happy with each other. Um, Economic um, downfall is taking place in some of the top countries in the world. Uh, Times are weird now and I wouldn't be... You know, pressure makes people do crazy things. And I just feel like it's important to spread the word on how damaging these things are. Now, we could say that the Japan we have today wouldn't be what it was if these two bombs weren't dropped on it. And um, I'm sure some people make that argument. I don't know if it's a good argument. It's probably true right but yeah i don't know i really don't know these questions are so big and i'm posing them to you fair listener um yeah was it the right thing to do it makes no sense to me that they dropped two nukes in three days no sense at all they expected them to surrender a day later they didn't Two days later, they surrender, They dropped the bomb and the second one on Nagasaki. And then, I guess it was like a month later that Japan formally surrendered. Maybe even more. Uh, I just... I'm... Yeah. Imagine they didn't. Imagine they dropped a third bomb. They had plans to drop more. If If the Japanese didn't surrender, they would have dropped more nukes. Like, that blows my mind. That blows my mind. Yeah. So... Lesson of this episode, nuclear war bad. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, well, this was a depressing episode of The O Show. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I might do another part for this one to see how they recovered. I think that's really important to cover as well. And uh, depends on, on the reaction this episode gets and uh otherwise i hope you enjoyed sorry for the depressing material um definitely not gonna do the next episode like sad stuff i'm gonna i missed the funny silly shit and um yeah follow me on instagram at osho the email Oshothe at gmail.com you can find me on reddit on the subreddit the osho and uh twitter osho the thanks for listening everyone I hope you learned something new and have a nice week. Wait, 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 wait. Don't leave yet guys. So uh, while I was recording I had an amazing burp. I edited out I edited it out, out of the video um but i thought to myself this burp cannot be go unheard cannot go unheard cannot go unheard and so i give you one of my greatest burps the rays penetrated st-